The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Great to have everybody here tonight as we get ready to talk about ghosts. That's what we like talking about most on this program. Not just ghosts tonight, though, but we're talking about an actu- actually a, a book called Paranormal Confessions. Uh, the name of the author is Kristen Lee. She's going to be with us tonight. She's going to be talking about not just the book, but the house that inspired the book. It's a house that she owns. It's called uh, Bel Air, uh, the Bel Air House. And uh, she's going to tell us all about what happens there, her experiences, and uh, a lot of her work, because she's not only an author, but she's also a psychologist and a psychic medium. And, uh, of course, she owns the house as well. So a lot going on in Kristen's life as it relates to the paranormal. And we're going to be talking all about that. Don't forget to subscribe and like and share and do all those things for me, please. If you're in YouTube, please like the program there. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that as well. If you're on our Twitch channel... Um, you can follow. There's no charge for that. If you can subscribe, even better. If you have a uh, an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe on Twitch without the subscription fee. You just link the Amazon Prime account to the Twitch subscription, and there's no charge for that. You just have to renew it each month. So if you're part of our YouTube crowd and you haven't done that in a while, I'd appreciate it if you'd jump on Twitch and do that for me as well. Uh, these platforms, as, as you know, if you watch the political show, you know that we're trying out a whole bunch of new platforms for streaming because there's so many new ones. As streaming becomes more popular and more people uh, like to uh, enjoy streamed programs or streamed discussions, whatever it happens to be, these streaming platforms are exploding all over the place. And we're still you know, kind of working through them to determine which ones we like the best. YouTube is still the granddaddy of them all. We've got to be there. Fortunately, this program doesn't uh, fall under the threat of being canceled on YouTube like the political show does. It's, it's awfully ridiculous that that's the case, but it is the case. So it's more important for us to have the backups on the other program. This one, a little bit less important. We've got great shows coming up here. As I've said, we're going to try to do live shows Tuesdays and Thursday nights, and we may increase the frequency. We'll see. Britt and I, I think it was over the weekend. When was that? I don't remember what night it was, but we jumped on and did kind of did a paranormal news update. And we had I had a bunch of emails, which I, they, I should have pre-screened them because they turned out to be a little bit lackluster. But uh, I get these stories all the time, and we'll continue to monitor those. And every once in a while, we'll jump on and we'll see you know what the news says about the paranormal. The other thing we might do tonight, depending on uh, how late we go, we might spend a few minutes talking about the latest in the Gabby Petito case. Uh, what a tragedy, right? I mean, anybody who follow, who's been following this and the whole nation seems to have been captivated by it. It's such a tragedy. She's such a young, uh, beautiful girl and uh, on a cross-country trip with her boyfriend, and it met with tragedy. And the more details that come out about this this uh, this kid, Laundry, I'm not even sure how old he is, uh, but the more details that come out about him, the more uh, he seems like a real shady character. But we'll, maybe we'll take a few minutes to kind of see what the update is. Um, what the latest information is. I know that the autopsy results were announced and they've confirmed that they did, they did in fact find her body. They were pretty certain it was anyway. They just needed to do the formality of the autopsy before they could announce it with certainty. Uh, but obviously with tattoos and, and um, you know her age, and uh, it was pretty easy to determine it was her when they found the body. But anyway, it's awfully morbid and uh, it's awfully disturbing, but the story is, uh, is something we should talk about because they're still looking for this guy. They're still looking for him. I'm anxious to see 
what uh, what your thoughts are as to where this guy has gone. So uh, at the end of the program, we'll do a little bit of that. Um, I'll let you know. Again, it depends on how much time uh, we have. We'll be talking with our guest, Kristen Lee, for about an hour tonight. So I look forward to doing that. In fact, we'll go to break right now so that we can get into this and get Kristen on the phone and we can begin talking about her book. Again, it's called Paranormal Confessions. We'll be right back. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show and it's so inexpensive. Now you can go to Patreon and you can become a Patreon supporter and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener and you scroll down to the bottom there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app and it's only 99 cents a month it's less than a buck you probably have that change in your couch right now that dollar a month less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you haven't had a chance to find the podcast version of the show, I encourage you to do that. We have uh, a tremendous podcast following, and if you're listening as part of the podcast following, I thank you for doing that. Uh, The podcast gets downloaded something in the neighborhood of 10,000 times a day. We have a tremendous number of back episodes on the podcast platform. And again, it's all, it's all major podcast platforms, regardless of whether you listen through um, uh, Apple's uh, I, uh, podcast store or the Google uh, podcast store. I don't even know what they call them anymore. <laughs> That's how I, they change them so often. I'm never sure. Um, we're also on Spotify and, and several others, Stitcher, I believe and several other major podcast platforms, and the show's doing tremendously there. So thank you for that. And the reason the show continues to do so very well is because we have terrific guests. Like the one we've got tonight, Kristen Lee is an author, a psychologist, a psychic medium, and a paranormal researcher. She's also owner of the Bel Air House and uh, owner of the Bel Air House Afterlife Research Center. She's written a new book. It's called Paranormal Confessions. We're going to be talking about all that tonight. Kristen, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's so great to have you with us tonight. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So I listed a, a bunch of things that you do here. Author, psychologist, psychic medium, uh, owner of the Bel Air House itself, plus the Afterlife Research Center. Uh, that's quite a list of, of titles, I would say. Um, some folks would say, like, when you get into psychology and you get into the paranormal, sometimes those things can butt heads. How do you make it all work? Well, making that part of it work is it's not really hard at all. Um, if we look at psychology and we look at paranormal investigators that are coming specifically to the Belair House, sometimes we, you know, at least for me, I, I always know which one is, you know, kind of the one in the corner scared. I always kind of can figure out which one is, is going to get, you know, more personal experiences. And I just keep my mouth shut and I sit back and I watch. <laughs> um, but it does. It does definitely correlate. Psychology does correlate with the paranormal, and and the reason is because sometimes when people, like if we're going through an EVP session and or if we're doing like a communication session with different pieces of equipment and somebody hears something, 
it could somebody across the table or across the room could hear something completely different than what they heard. And that's no different than free association when we look at psychology. But it does affect the um, psychologist. It affects all of us, really, on a psychological level. Um, and it also affects us on a physiological level if we bring in the metaphysical part of the energies that we're channeling or the energies that we uh, conjure to circulate around us. All right, so you use some terms there that I, I've I've heard. I'd like to pretend I know I know what they mean, uh, but I'm not going to because I think it's important we clarify it. Though, but you said free association. So is that kind of like is that like the Rorschach test, where once somebody can look at a, at a at an ink blot and come up with yep. something in their mind, and somebody else can look at the same ink blot and come up with something different? Only you're talking about this in a more spiritual sense. Absolutely, yes, you're absolutely right. That is what. You know, there's an example of, you know, how that I put out there to describe the EVPs. But absolutely, you know, everybody has a different, um, everybody is different. Everybody comes from different um, experiences, different environments, different multicultural diversities and religions. And what they hear, you know, it might mean something to them, but it might not be real data because it couldn't, you know, maybe it's not what the spirits or the energies are, are saying to us. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So talk a little bit more about that, though. When, you know, obviously everybody has something different in their background, a lot of major differences, things like religion or upbringing or culture, whatever it happens to be, and then minor differences just from experiences that we've all had. How do they factor into, into what you interpret or what you experience, maybe, from a paranormal perspective? Well, if we go back to just listening to what, you know, say, for instance, we're using um, the portal, and the portal is very clear. It's a clear channel piece of equipment, and there's no, like, white noise that's kind of making you think something different. Or it's, The white noise, is, for me, it's annoying, and for other people, I know it's annoying, too. But if you have a clear channel and a name comes through, and it may be Ed, you know, they may not hear that. They might hear um, just, like, a, a verbal, like something like a, a spirit saying something that isn't Ed, and they would discredit that, they would move on, and possibly it was Ed. So we have to decipher, you know, when we're doing sessions and stuff like of course, respect everybody's perspective and everybody's thoughts and opinions. But when there's that, the, the, the kicker is this, when it comes through and it says, I'm not here, you know, when something says like, or I'm right here, and it's clear and everybody knows that, and nobody can dispute that. Nobody can say, no, I thought I heard this. And another person says, no, I thought I heard this. Then we know for sure that it is actually something that we all heard at the same time. So it is legit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Now, you were talking about, you know, actually doing this in real time and just observing people. But you also work with people after they've had paranormal or supernatural experiences. When you do that, when you're working with folks, and I'm assuming that, that folks who might seek your help in this regard have had something traumatic happen or something scary or however you want to talk about it. But what do you draw on more when you're providing assistance to that type of person? Is it more of your mental health training or is it the paranormal experience that you've had? Well, it's important, you know, when we're working, when I'm working with people, first of all, find out what, what's going on. What is going on in their life? Because that could be, you know, seeping into their home and as well as their family. Um, so we have to, you know, look at that first. But when, you know, we get down to, okay, well, this person is clearly having some sort of a paranormal experience. Um, you know, a, a great example is this. There was a lady that had lost her, her, her father, 
and she was the only one that was there with him. And I counseled her throughout that course of time while she was sitting in the hospital, you know, hoping that, you know, family members came to him, mm-hmm. like, like I'll hear about family members come to our, to see our, our loved ones and then take them to heaven. That was in her case. Um, then when he actually transitioned a few weeks later, the counseling really started because we had to, she was having issues in her home. Um, she believed that he was there and that was good for her. He was sending her messages. She could feel physiological affects like chills, um, being cold, uh, being touched, stuff like that. And she thought that that was beautiful. That was wonderful because that was dad. But then it got a little bit worse because, you know, then her son, who was a child, ended up telling her that he was seeing different spirits in the house. And she found him with a fan cord wrapped around his neck. And she got oh. very, very upset. Yeah, because she, you know, she really thinks that there is some sort of a negative entity that's in there to harm him. So then we have to get, you know, kind of like peeling back the onion. We have to go through all of the different layers not just psychological, but also uh, through the paranormal with metaphysical things and different types of religions and spirits and entities and deities and find out, you know, kind of piecing the puzzles together and, you know, get a good idea of what it could be and then start doing some investigating in order to rule things out to be able to pinpoint what is going on here so I can help this family. Okay, so everything you just described there is are you part of that process because that's way more than a mental health approach obviously. That's a full-blown paranormal investigation trying to determine the source of the activity and I'm assuming take it to the next step and try to either subdue it or eliminate it. Yeah. Yes, correct. That is correct. Yeah, it's it's, it's a mixture. I mean, just because I have the education to be the psychologist, I can do like the psychological assessments. I actually work with a nurse that's there to go over any types of medicines. I'll pull in Carol Lawrence, who is a wonderful retired nurse. She's in her 70s, and she's also a psychic. She's also a medium and a Reiki master. Um, I'll pull her in if there's any types of medicines because, you know, I'm just a psychologist. I can't really prescribe or do anything like that. I, I don't play with the medicines. I'm, yeah. I'm educating them, but I would rather have somebody that has, you know, distributed them, passed them out, passed out meds to help. Um, just as an extra eyes and ears and hands. But, yeah, I mean, we go through all of that, all of those psychological things. But then if it isn't paranormal, then it goes into psychological counseling to help them get over, you know, whatever trauma that they had and find out what that trauma is and then just start using some cognitive behavioral therapy. Do you have a uh, an estimate of the breakdown of cases that you might get involved with where it breaks down uh, the numbers as to how many of them or maybe a percentage of them that turn out to be someone in need of some type of mental health counseling versus a real paranormal uh, situation? I feel like it's more of um, the mental health counseling than it is paranormal, but there are cases that are truly paranormal. And, um, you know, the, the in, in my case, you know, when I started this whole process, you know, I have very strong claims extremely strong claims. And the team basically said, we all thought you were crazy until we came to the Belair house and we realized that, wow, this stuff really is happening to you. So, uh, you know, it's just being able to assess the situation properly with respect for the family, with respect for if there are spirits there, um, and then just trying to do the best that we can do. Did you have any paranormal 
preconceived notions before your um, experiences at the at the Belair house? I did not. No. Did you have any thoughts? I mean, was it something you were interested in prior to that? You know, honestly, I didn't even know that there was things that were paranormal equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, my first gifted paranormal piece of equipment was an old hack shack. So that kind of just shows how long <laughs> I've been. <laughs> but no, I I thought paranormal was like Scooby Doo. Yeah. Uh, you know, I knew that those were on TV, but I didn't know that you know there was actually paranormal television, paranormal shows. I did not know that when I was in the Blair House because I had my horse blinders on to continue my my academic um, training and, and continue college. And you know, the goal was to actually have the PhD, but. Blair House happened, so kind of got sidetracked with that and haven't completed that part of my training yet. And we're going to get into details about the house itself and the book, obviously, because uh, right now we're learning a little bit more about you. And I want to go back to something that you had said with that example or that that uh, case that you were talking about. You were talking about being in the hospital, and uh, I guess deathbed visitations is kind of the way to sum it up. Um, you were were you working with that woman in, in trying to help facilitate that? Or were you there trying to assure her it was happening? It, this is a recent case. This is one I'm still working on. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it, it's to assure her that, you know, your father is transitioning. Um, he will be leaving us and, and helping her with that that shock. I mean, because when we lose a family member and, and you're the only child that is there, you're an older child, middle-aged child, losing your loved one, your father, I mean, that, that's, that's awful. That is, the, that's, you know, that's, that's just a very, it's a hard time for anybody. And, you know, I yeah. feel very blessed that, you know, I was able to help her through that time. But then also connecting to her father on that sense of mediumship, too, mm-hmm. because that can't be done. And giving her specific confirmations that he is, he's, you know, he's weightless. He is, he is here, you know, and sometimes with the medium part of me, names come out that I do not know. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there was a name of a deceased loved one that had been with him that I said, I, I do see this person and I hear this name. And that was a major, major, major confirmation, knowing that he was at peace, but also, you know, explaining and and educating really that spirit can travel back and forth because when spirit, when, when we leave, when our soul, our energy leaves our physical body, our body is just a shell, but our soul goes on and our, our energy goes on. And I'm going to just start calling it energy from this point. Um, and we can, we can visit deceased loved ones. We can be there for them because, you know, when, when we do transition to the afterlife, to the spirit realm, I've seen it a lot of times. Spirits, they want to check on their family. They want to make sure that their family is okay. Um, and, and, you know, just educating her with that part of it did give her peace. Having that mediumship come in did give her an awful lot of peace. But she still had the grief. Yeah. And that was normal. That's absolutely normal. And when we have grief situations like that, uh, you know, she's not sleeping, she's not eating, she's feeling bad because she can't go to work, she's feeling like she can't, you know, have, have a handle on it and control, letting go of that control, that vulnerability of letting go of control, that's all psychological, and someone needs to be there in order to help that person in need go over that mountain and find that balance. 
When you talk about these uh, deathbed visitations, uh, I, I have a real personal interest in that because I, I lost both of my parents in the last few years. And uh, my father, my father died at home. Uh, uh, kind of, he was sick, but it was unexpected at the time. Uh, but my mother was in the hospital for a long time, and uh, you know, died over the course of a few days. And while I w- was there with her, uh, she was talking about people that I didn't see that she saw. And I mean, it was it was comforting for the most part. But she also described some what sounded to me like sinister visitors, and. You know, I, I can't make heads or tails of it. I've been in, involved in the paranormal uh, and investigating and talking about it for, you know, 20 years or so. And then just with a casual interest prior to that. Uh, but that stuff fascinates me. What are your thoughts on that? Do do deceased loved ones come to help the the person who's who's dying, who's passing at the time make that transition? Is there something more maybe religious about it? Or, and what about the sinister part? What are your thoughts on all that? Okay, so, you know, if, 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 we're, if we're using um, an example of somebody is on their deathbed and they are um, a Catholic, like for instance, my Aunt Rose, she did die at home, unfortunately she did, but she was surrounded by all of us. The whole family was there, so she was very blessed. But she did see Mother Mary. She kept saying, Mother Mary is here. Um, when my Uncle Joe died he didn't see god he didn't see jesus he didn't see you know he didn't see our our great grandmother or anything like that but what it does is we're seeing that first of all it could be psychological because we thought that we've heard it first but we've heard it from our family when when we die you're going to gather with your loved ones and they will come for you so that's still there that's still a, a seed planted in our head but it does actually happen and when it does actually happen the energies that are coming through, the spirits that are coming through, they create that portal. And, you know, they, they want to be there for the deceased loved one, but they can't, you know, have somebody have their back when negative energy can also seep through that portal too. So, I mean, there are times where there's good spirits that can come through that would be deceased loved ones, but right behind them, because that portal, you know, that energy um, has been ripped and opened, that other entities can come through too. I may have missed it in your answer, but does that mean that the process of a soul transitioning or about to transition opens that portal? Yes, their thought process, their energy that they emit that, that makes that happen. And then just the simple fact that our deceased loved ones know. They know that, yeah. that we're coming or we're going with them or we're going to the spirit realm. Whatever religious um, you know phrase that you want to use, they know that. And, and I feel like they get ready for that. They do. I've seen that. I've heard it, and it's not just one or two times. I've heard it a handful of times over the past 10 years. They knew. They, they knew that there was a, someone that was sick, someone that was transitioning, and they were there to help them actually use the word cross over. Some people think that the transition process takes a considerable amount of time. I've heard of up, up to a year. What are your thoughts on that? Does it happen immediately for, for a soul or a spirit to transition from life to the other side? I don't feel like it's instant. I do not, because I feel like there's different. I mean, if we are, it's just like us waking up, putting our feet on the floor, going to the bathroom to brush our teeth, get ready for our day. It's 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 mostly the same. They have to go through different levels. They have to understand how to reacclimate their bodies to being weightless. That's a process. They have to understand, um, hey, I'm I'm dead. 
you know, I hate to use it like that, but it's yeah. the truth. You know, longer here. And then, you know, with that part of it too, even in the afterlife, there's acceptance, but it's more of an acceptance based on their belief system when they actually had that, you know, when their body was actually bound to earth by gravity and what they were told, what they believed. You mentioned medication before um, talking about that in a mental health sense. Have you ever encountered an example or an experience whereby the medication was inducing the paranormal activity? Is that, does that ever happen? Because I know substance abuse can. Yeah, substance abuse really, really does. It truly does. And that's one thing that I look for first. And I, I ask hard questions. Do you use substance drugs? Do you use drink drugs? Do you, are you an alcoholic? How much do you drink? You know, I always ask those. But when it comes to different types of medicines, there are types of medicines um, for mental health um, issues that can make you hallucinate, can make you have visual or auditorial hallucinations, and then you have to rule that out as paranormal. Paranormal is not the case. Sometimes it is the case, yeah. even though they are hallucinating. You know, it's just you, you really have to look at each case specifically and, and make it a unique case and really try to try your best to rule out everything because, I mean, you're helping, you're, you are the one that is helping someone. You know, and it's 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 just very very gentle situation, no matter what situation. Yep. But yeah, there's there's a lot that um, I think maybe two years ago there was a man that was um, he he said you know I I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia but I'm still feeling like there's demons in my house I'm still being attacked by demons and that I had to refer that one because I'm not a demonologist. Yeah. You, know, you can't do that. Yeah. We're talking with Kristen Lee tonight, author of the book Paranormal Confessions. Uh, Kristen, one of the things that you talk about studying is, um, let me see, because I want to make sure I have it right here, higher intellectual source of communication with spirits. What is a higher intellectual source of communication with spirits? I think that good communication is higher intellect. I really do. That means they're an advanced spirit. They didn't just transition. Sometimes when people do transition, they can, you know, talk to us as well. But the higher level of intelligence comes from what, at, at least at the Belair House, what these higher intellects wanted to be referred to as star people, which is, you know, break it down into layman's terms, as this alien. So we have had communication with star people, and they have predicted some pretty heavy-hitting environmental, earth-worldly things. These are so... Again, I don't want to get, jump too far ahead here, but what I think I just heard you say is some of this paranormal activity that you have at the Belair House, the house that you own, that, uh, that um, is an inspiration for this book that you wrote. Um, some of this paranormal activity relates to entities that call themselves the star people or star people, and they actually offer you, uh, I guess there would be prophecy of the future? Yes, absolutely. I, when, when the star, and it's very, very rare that the star people come through in any kind of communication session that we try to collect data about at the Belair house. But when they do, we ask very heavy questions, you know, like I ask, what do we need to do to preserve our earth? What do we need to do to extend the human race? What do we need to do in order to be better humans? Um, one time, you know, and it's this is one that's in the book we asked um, back in the day, it was a while ago, we asked, who is going to be our next president? And the response was, not the woman. Oh. So we knew it 
point that we all were, you know, had the popcorn bag watching TV the <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah. And they president and clear enough, it wasn't the woman. It was not Hillary. It was Obama. So that was a confirmation that we had received probably, oh gosh, a few months before, you know, the Mr. President Obama was, was announced. Um, we had asked, how do we extend life? Okay, wait, so we're, and, we're talking about when uh, Hillary was challenging Obama for the Democrat nomination or when Hillary yes. was running as a general candidate against Donald Trump? Not Trump. Oh, so it was, it, when she was yeah. in the primaries. Gotcha. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and it did say that. It said not the woman. But we also asked, you know, what do we need to do? in order to stop war, in order to be better humans. And they kept saying, and this was the same time frame, okay? They kept saying love, harmony, peace, love, harmony, peace, and music, music, music. And then look at last year, we saw everybody in Italy singing off of their balconies. That's right. Well, um, I want to... Uh, talk to you about something else that you talk about um, that's uh, kind of been part of your academic approach to this. And you've studied uh, the psychological effects on the human body while investigating. Are we talking about studying the effects of the paranormal on the human body or the actual process of investigating? Uh, the paranormal effects of the human body, yes. Some people get very dizzy. They sway back and forth like they're in a funhouse. We've noticed that some people, um, you know, go outside. They have to kind of get their stuff grounded and balanced because it's too much for them. That you know, when a, a cold chill comes through and you know it's 90 degrees outside, we can't explain that. That's just different entity spirits, energies, kind of taking not kind of, but taking energy to from us to communicate, and that lowers us. That lowers our vibration. It makes us a little tired. Sometimes it makes people throw up because it's an energy overload. Um, so, you know, people are outside sometimes throwing up. That's rare, but it has happened. Some people feel like they're very sleepy, and they go into the living room, and they lay down, and before you know it, they're, they're snoring on the couch. Um, you know, that that's just the physiological parts of it. It can take a lot out of you, doesn't it? It can do that. Absolutely. But we also have to counterfact in, too, that how long did that investigator that fell asleep on the couch, where did they drive from? How long have they been up? I mean, there's lots of questions that sure. we kind of have in order to get the right data in order to make such a strong claim or, or at least begin the process of the theory. So let's talk about the, the Blair House. Now, when I introduced it, I called it the Bel Air House. Obviously, I was emphasizing the wrong syllable there. But what was your introduction to it and when did it come into your life? Well, our family was affected by two flash floods, and the floodwaters washed our house away, completely oh, away. Wow. I found the Belair house on a foreclosed list because, you know, at that time in our life, we didn't have a whole bunch of, well, actually, we had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> to be quite we had absolutely nothing. And when I found the Belair house on the foreclosed list, it was a decent price to where we could rebuild our lives and then slowly, you know, build the house. Um so when I went into the Belair House, oh, my gosh, it was absolutely beautiful. It was everything that I had ever dreamed of, and I thought it was a blessing. I thought, oh, my gosh, we went through all of this trauma, all of this hell, and here we are at the end of the day. It, here's our blessing. Um, and then shortly after we moved in, just activity started to happen, but I didn't realize that it was activity. I blamed psychology. I blame we're tired. Mm -hmm. I'm still in grad. I'm working two jobs. Look what we just went through. This is PTSD. 
you know, I, I just blamed everything that I possibly could because I had no knowledge of, you know, actual negative entities doing the things that they were doing. Um, you know, being a psychologist, in trained psychologist, that was first in my life anyway. That was like number one. That was right on the front burner of the stove. You know, the psychic medium stuff was all the way on the back burner of the stove, simmering on low. <laughs> you know, it's just like I did not look at at the at the metaphysical part of it. The psycho or the psychological part was first. So, you know, I put that on the forefront for months until I couldn't do it anymore. And then finally, one night there was an apparition that sat down on my couch where we were sleeping and I actually felt the weight to where I thought it was a person that sat down. And when I sat up on my elbows and opened my eyes, you know, to see who it was, it wasn't a family member. It was this gray figure of a man and you could see through him. He had no expression. He didn't say anything. And I was so startled. I was beyond startled, like startled to the power of 10. And I screamed, who are you? What do you want? Why are you here? I was, you know, petrified, absolutely petrified. And he got up, I felt the couch go up, the cushion went back up. He walked out of the living room into the foyer and he vanished. That scared me to death. I was so startled. I was so scared. And then, you know, I went to my partner and he said, you know, we've been through a lot. You probably had a really bad dream. You're working too hard. You're you're in grad school. You're working two jobs and a part-time, you know, you just to make all the money that we could to get back to that financial stability. He said it was just a dream. Go back to sleep. And I couldn't go back to sleep. And it was weeks before I was able to actually peacefully rest because of what I had experienced. Did that apparition acknowledge you when it sat down and then stood up and walked off? It, it looked me. It looked me right in the face. Yeah, it was face to face. Yeah, and that was such a scary, scary. I will never ever forget that moment. Our dog was was running around barking. You could hear her claws on the wooden floors. You know, she was just in a panic because she knew something wasn't right. Something, something was there. Something was dangerous. She wanted to protect. Did you have a sense of your psychic medium abilities prior to moving into the Belair house, or did that come after? It, I did. I absolutely did, um, but I'll be honest with you, being in the Belair house and consuming that type of energy all of the time, it did increase the intuition to lead it to psychic abilities, and then from the psychic part of it, uh, mediumship to being able to connect to the dead. Do you think that uh, harboring those sensitivities is one of the reasons you saw this apparition that night? I don't know. And that's the best question I have with that. I really don't know. I'm still trying to unravel that after all of these years. How did that happen? How long ago did you buy and move into the Belair house? Uh, 2004. 2004. So you've spent 17 years. Obviously, when you have wow. when you have a full-bodied apparition, not just a, a sighting of this, but actually one that interacts with the... The, the physical world around you, in this case, it sat down on the couch, you saw the cushion, you felt the weight, uh, and then it, when it left, you, you felt the release of that weight. Um, that's something that's, that's enough to send most people running out of the house and never to go back in. You chose not to. Why? Well, because Hefe, my partner, told me it was a dream. You know, and I believe that. 
I think I needed to believe that in order to function properly with my activities of daily living, of living inside of that Belair house. Okay. You were told it was a dream you, and you, you accepted that, but obviously the activity didn't stop. So the next time something happened, you must have started to question whether or not, in fact, that was a dream. Absolutely. 100% yes. There was a time where there was a great big box of tile for the floor, 50-pound you know, box of tile that we were laying down, and it disappeared. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of a wimp. I can't pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> And the kids couldn't pick it up because they were kids, you know, they they weren't, you know, maybe my older son could have, but he swore up and down, he did not do it. And I believe him. And and Lane at that time was a baby. He's going to be 19 pretty soon. He couldn't have done it. But Hefe, you know, I didn't believe him. I believed that maybe he drank too much and he put it somewhere and, you know, it caused, it caused major fights. We were fighting with each other, things that would come up missing. It was almost like, and it wasn't almost like it was. The entities inside of the Blair House were actually pitting each other, pitting us against each other to start these fights, to lower our energy, to lower our vibe, um, to separate and divide, so they could eventually conquer and divide our family. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. So time goes on. You're experiencing these things in the home. At what point did you did? Again, you, as you described earlier in our conversation, you kind of turned your attention away from your academics and, and, and your Ph.D. and focused more on the paranormal. Was there a specific event that made you do that or was just the sum of everything that was going on? There is a specific event, but I haven't finished my Ph.D. yet. I want to make that clear so, you know, nobody gets confused. Um, the the time that everybody left the house, everybody it was very close to fall time frame and everybody left the house to go and you know go out and celebrate have fun and this wasn't my family at this point my family had left and it was just um my dog and myself my son uh my little son was there the baby was there but um he was staying with his grandparents that night and i actually saw this is awful so i normally don't talk about this but um what did it was seeing my dog legitimately picked up and thrown against the wall oh, while wow. I was onto a bed. I could not move. There was an entity that looked like a, uh, like a three-foot static electricity rain cloud that was just hovering over to where I was. I could not move at all. I wasn't completely asleep, but I was laying down trying to go to sleep. And this was in the back bedroom, which is now called the Edwin, Edwin Hetherington Room. Um, and I, I could, all I could do was move my eyes back and forth and pray to St. Michael because I thought I was going to die that night. And our dog, Bella, had jumped on top of me. Um, you know, I could feel her, her, her claws going into my, my collarbone. She was such in a panic. Her saliva was coming down on my face. She wasn't trying to attack me. She was trying to protect me. But whatever this entity was, she was lifted up and slammed against the wall, the actual wall. And you heard the yelp, the the scream that she made was, that was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life, ever, 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 ever. And and that that was such a traumatic experience. So today I struggle with that, you know, um, when there's, when, when there's times where it just, that thought comes through, you kind of have to redirect that thought, you know, you have to kind of recondition that thought process 
a lot. It's like when people say, well, just recondition your thought processes. It, it, that is a practice that is for life. You just don't recondition it and it goes away. It's, it's definitely a practice. And again, you have this experience, which can be um, described as nothing but frightening, and you still decide to stay there. Now, did that, after you had a chance to recover from the actual uh, event, uh, did you become curious? Did you say you wanted to get to the bottom of this? Uh, What was the motivator not to, again, go running, screaming out of the house, never to look back? That's what I did. That's exactly what I did. When everybody, you know, when I picked Bella up off the floor, I put her in my Jeep, and that was a chore because she wasn't a puppy. She was a big girl. Um, we we left the house that night, and the next day, uh, a very good friend of mine, um, when I turned my phone back on, um, said, where are you? And I said, I'm at the reservoir with Bella. She's, she's I think her leg is broken. Um, so he met me there, and he helped me get her back into the Jeep, we immediately got her medical care and she sprained her leg. She didn't break it, um, but she was in, she had a limp for the rest of her life. But I told him, I said, I'm not going back in that house. So I ended up getting a hotel room. Um, the next day I went and picked up my son um, and we, we stayed in the hotel room. And then I started to pray and, and petition that somebody, and this is me being stupid, but I was because I was scared to death. I pray that somebody would just come and rent the house. And sure enough, there was a contractor that was fixing roofs at the time because we had major hailstorms. He came and he said, how much can we rent your house for? We have a 10-crew roofing crew that that needs a a big house like this. When can you be out? And I said, we'll be out. When do you need us out? He said, tomorrow. So we had two days to pack, you know, just some of the things that we needed find housing, which I thank God I did. I moved from the great big Bel Air house to a little rinky dink townhouse in a, in two towns away. Um, and that's, that's where I started to unravel what the heck just happened to me, what happened to my family and what happened to our dog, what happened? So then I started to Google paranormal investigators, just did a Google search, Belmont County paranormal investigators. There's nothing. Um, Ohio County, which is Wheeling, West Virginia, paranormal investigators, nothing. Then I just put in Ohio paranormal paranormal investigators and then paranormal investigation researchers showed up. Um, I called them immediately. They answered the phone. It was like the grace of God. They just answered the phone. And I explained to them what was happening. And I could hear the reservation in their voice. I, I, I thought 100%. I thought I was crazy. And I knew they thought I was crazy. And then later on, down the line, after, you know, they investigated the house, they're like, Kristen, you had some really strong claims. We really, really thought you were mentally ill. And I'm like, yeah, I do too. So, you know, what's going on? And then the the coolest thing with this team is they held my hand. They made me go back in the house. And they started to train me as a paranormal investigator because they, their hopes were that the house wasn't as bad as what it was and that we could actually reacclimate ourselves into the house with appeasing the spirits and learning paranormal investigation techniques and how to communicate with, you know, malevolent and negative entities. But that didn't work. That, and I just did not feel comfortable. So I did let the house go. 
ends up in, in a federal court system saying, you can have the house. I don't want the house. And we packed up and um, we moved to Massachusetts for a little bit. And I mean a little bit because at that point in time, the code enforcer named Jim Chase, who's no longer with us, he um, called and said that I needed to come back to Bel Air to cut the grass. And I told Mr. Chase that I don't own the house anymore. I'm not responsible for it. And he says, you are responsible for it. He said, Belmont County Auditor didn't want your house. The mortgage company didn't want your house. But we certainly, as the village of Bel Air, don't want your house. So even though you filed bankruptcy on their house, you're still responsible for its maintenance. So I had to leave. <laughs> I had to leave Massachusetts. And then I got stuck here in Bel Air ever since then. And then we started to operate the Bel Air house the way that it is. Um, the first round of operating the Bel Air house, I, you know, there was a man that was in Bel Air. Um, his name's Jim Johnston. And uh, he said, listen, you, you have a book. Because I wrote a book. It's called 1699 Belmont Street. Um, it's an awful book. Please don't read it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a crisis book. You know what I mean? It was like Kermit the Frog. When you see him online, like you're scrolling through social media, and he's like rantingly, like typing at the typewriter as fast as he can. That's what that book is to me. But a lot of people like it. It sold a lot of copies. But I just I don't like that book because it's it's just – it's raw. I mean, it is raw truth in that book. And it's, gosh, about 12, 13 years ago, you know, um, and I've, I've grown a lot since then. But um, so I, I, you know, I wrote this book for the next homeowners of the family because I wanted to give them a heads up and I wanted to give them some referrals on who they could call in case, you know, the house became the, the Belair house again. But, you know, Jim Johnson said, you wrote a book. You and Mike were on TV. He said, build revenue for Bel Air. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And he started to, he actually put his name on the Bel Air house deed. Um, and he owned, he, he, you know, he owned half of the Bel Air house. And he did operate it as a tourist attraction um, and, and just did tours. I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't know that people came to haunted locations to set up their gear and investigate and spend the night. Right. And I didn't know that companies that traveled around, you know, the world with groups to do investigations. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. All I knew was I wanted nothing to do with that house. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to live on Easy Street and bake cupcakes and, you know, watch the Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with that. But, you know, there was a time where I kept telling him somebody's going to get hurt. That's the, and, and Mike McAllister, who was with OVPRI, kept telling him, Mr. Johnston, this is not a fun house. This is not a Halloween house where Jason Voorhees is going to jump out of the closet with a chainsaw. You know, it's not like that. This is a legitimate paranormal location. And he just, he didn't under, he didn't believe it. He did not believe in spirits. Even though he was a Mormon, he didn't believe in any of that. Um, so one day, one of our groundskeepers ended up going through the second story window. He was pushed down the steps. And he went through the second story window. And at that point in time, I told Jim, I said, you need to pull the plug. Somebody's going to get hurt. This is a liability. And if somebody dies, that's going to be on you. Because I told you. And then he finally closed it. And then he started to rent the house out to different renters. Uh, they didn't stay long. Um, I think the, the most that a renter ever stayed was when Jim was out of the picture. Um, they stayed for almost a year. And then that was the last set of renters that ever 
lived in the Belair house. And then we turned it, or I turned it in, um, when I ended up getting married to my husband, Jim Johnston said, you know, take my name off the deed. You're married now. You and your husband deal with this. And I was like, thanks. That's that's the worst wedding present you could ever give anybody. But, you know, he thought it would be cool, but it wasn't. So we, we had to do what we had to do. We rented it out. We told people, listen, and we know you've seen it on TV. We're not trying to suggest anything. We're not going to hold you to a lease. If something happens and you want to leave, we get it. We understand. But, you know, this is what happened to us. But they didn't believe in the paranormal. The last set of renters didn't believe. And they didn't believe until they couldn't, could not believe anymore. And then they finally called and they said, we're packed up, we're leaving. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, I thought we were like, you know, thought you were going to live here forever. And um, that just, just didn't happen. So we went down. And when we met the, the last renter, he said, I was walking through the kitchen, going to the bathroom. And the chandelier came a half an inch from hitting me on my head. It actually came out of the ceiling. He said, there's some very strange things that have happened here. Um, when he came up to our place to pay rent one time, he had informed me that there was a secret room in the basement that he believed was the Underground Railroad. He went to the public library to do research, and he found proof that the Blair House was a stop for the Underground Railroad. Um, so I, I had no idea of that part of its history, none. No and you, did, you didn't know that room was in the basement? You never saw it? Nope, never saw it. It was behind the furnace. Never, never, ever saw. I didn't spend a lot of time in the basement, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he did. Evidently, he did. <laughs> but yeah, he was he he was able to, you know, give us an idea that the Belair House was part of the Underground Railroad. But I left it at that because um, I still was skeptical of things. You know, I still to that day I was, even though I'd seen everything and heard everything. I think skepticism is I don't want to believe. Therefore, it didn't happen because it's a sense of having to conform to a different thought process, a different way than what I was brought up, um, the way that other people were brought up. We're not brought up to believe that we can communicate with the dead and things can be thrown across the room. You know, we're not, we're, we don't, that's, that's not the way that our culture is, um, a typical culture, but that's what happened with that part of it. And then, you know, when we turned it into the Afterlife Research Center, that's when I really started to dive in to the history to understand better why the things were occurring inside of the Belair House. And, of course, we did find documentation that there were servants and that said it on their census records. Uh, and through data collections, they asked us to call them servants. They said they did not want to be called slaves because they were not slaves. They said that they had their freedom. They said they were in a free state and they were not slaves. So we, you know, respectfully called them servants from that foot forward. And it does turn out that the Belair House is part of the Underground Railroad. Wow. So just quickly, the first group of investigators that came in after you called them uh, and they concluded that, uh, you know, they basically confirmed that the things you had experienced were, were legitimate. Did they give you any warnings? Did they say this is something you shouldn't mess with? Uh, because most paranormal invest investigators won't do that. I I'm just curious what their impression was when they were done investigating. Mike McAllister kept saying, I'm calling Bishop Bishop. I heard this Bishop name probably a hundred times. And when activity would get off the chain is how he called it. He said, I'm calling Bishop James Long. And D Bishop James Long is, is an exorcist. He's a demonologist and he's with the old Catholic church. I never knew Bishop. I never knew him. I just knew that there was a man out there that could fix the house. 
That's how I thought. Um, and Mike, you know, Mike's like, you, you guys can't live here. He's like, there's, there's nothing that we can do. And, you know, fortunately, you know, by the grace of God, I was able to move. I was able to get out of there. It was a struggle. It was definitely a struggle. And there were times, you know, when activity was so large that my son and my dog, we slept in our Jeep. Um, that we had to. I mean, we, we were broke at a couple of points to where we couldn't get a hotel room. And it was, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. And I didn't want to go knock on my mom's door and wake her up and have her up all night, you know. Um, so we just did, you know, what we could do. But yeah, Mike, what the, I think that, and I will say this for the record, Mike McAllister, Amanda McAllister, Danny Huang, um, Kentucky Ghost Scouts, um, Eyes of Paranormal, they were all very, very ethical people. And thank God I was trained by ethical people because I'm going to tell you something. I've seen, oh gosh, anywhere from six to eight, you know, enthusiasts, investigators that roll through the Belair House weekly, okay, all, all year long. And some of them are great ethical people, but some of them are thrill seekers and, and they want those types of experiences so they can put it on a video and possibly get a TV show. Yeah. And that's not want in a residential case. You don't want somebody thirsty for fame and television coming into your home because that comes into exploitation. But no, they did tell me to get the heck out of there. You can't deal with this. We're going to try to get a hold of Bishop. Well, finally, one day, you know, the sun came out behind the clouds and Bishop James Long actually came to the house. And I finally got to meet him. And ever since that day happened, he's kind of taken me under his wing and he's taught me a lot. And a lot of paranormal investigators that come into the Blair House, they have taught me so much. I mean, I have hands-on, firsthand experience from thousands and thousands of paranormal investigators. Did the bishop, I think you said, was it James Long? Is that what you said? Is that the name? Yeah. yeah. Did did he uh, exercise the house? Did he cleanse it? I mean, because obviously at some point you felt it went from being menacing and, and maybe even dangerous uh, as you ex- relate a couple of experiences to us that were in fact dangerous to a point where you you're comfortable letting other people go through the house and investigate did something change did he do something well yes he did do blessings he did do cleansings uh he did not do a minor right he did not um not at that time not at that point in time um, but he did cleansings, he did blessings, and he educated me on how to handle it, how to handle that type of energy. And I also pulled in um, Zagiria, which is Italian witchcraft. That was back in the day. And I utilized some of those practices as well in order to kind of get the house more in a balance to where people could actually come in. But when the cleansing and the blessing was done, um, you know, with a mixture of other different components of religion, the house did settle down. It did become that those negative entities did become dormant, but they didn't last dormant for long. A couple years would go by, they'd pop back up and, you know, we'd have to make a couple phone calls. Guys, the house is cranky again. Can we all get in here and, and kind of calm it down and then leave it sit for a couple of days? We do have to do that on a routine basis. We just can't predict when, you know what I mean? It's just, it happens when it happens and then we're proactive when it happens. Have you yourself or any of the folks that have come through the house to investigate, whether it's people that you brought in or people that do it because they're interested in what the house is about, uh, have what kind of evidence or, or, or pictures or video or audio have, have you or any of them gotten? Is it stuff that you can share with us, tell us a little bit about? Yeah, the, the, 
the most, the one that's most recent that comes to mind is we just launched on Unsolved Mysteries podcast um, September 1st. And there were two women that regularly come to the Belair house to investigate, to collect data. One is a hospice nurse and one is a nurse that delivers babies. So we've got one bringing them in and one taking them out. And I want to tell you something. These two women are very, very gifted. So when they come in, I always want to spend time with them to see what kind of data that they collect. On this podcast, they actually played the clip that they caught that night. So we hung a chain on the chandelier in the seance room just to see if, you know, like a pendulum, if a spirit would be able to um, make that chain move back and forth, right? So using audio only and a REM pod, um, you know, for for sensory and stuff like that, sensory motion, uh, the REM pod did go off. But then when we listened back to the audio, there was a full-fledged conversation of two men that were talking back and forth to each other for probably a minute. And we are literally fell on the table. They dropped on the table. We're like, what the heck is that? How did that happen? But we had to listen to the audio. We didn't hear it with our ears while it was happening, but it was recorded and it was picked up while we were recording the audio of just trying to make that chain go back and forth. And you can hear the chain go back and forth. And then a few minutes later, there's these two men talking back and forth. Now, what's interesting about that is when the nurses came back, when we opened up right after COVID, they were the first ones in. And they called me and they kept saying, Dave is talking to us, Dave, Dave, Dave. And I'm thinking it's the investigator named Dave that always comes to the house. Maybe the house wants to see Dave again. So I went down and um, we did some communication sessions. I think we did like six hours worth of communication sessions. And it just kept saying Dave. And then um, finally we discovered that this man who was talking to us was not named Dave. His name was Nagari, and he was looking for Dave. So we, and he said, murder, murder, murder. So, and then he said a little store's name that's in, that was in West Bel Air at the time, it's called Frizzies. So the investigator, Nicole, looked up murder, Bel Air, West Bel Air, Frizzies, Dave. And sure enough, it popped up. The whole case popped up. So when she started to question the spirit, she said, so you, you shot, Dave shot you. And clearly through the equipment, it said, you're reading it. You tell me. Wow. So the spirit knew that Nicole was reading the article. And then finally, Nicole was lost it. She lost it. She said, guess what today is? You know, all of us said what the date was. I don't remember what the date was. But it was the date that the man that murdered him was sentenced. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. It is a big that deal. Was, yeah. Um, I'm looking at the clock here. We're going to run out of time. I want to um, turn attention directly to the book here. When did you decide to write about all of this? Well, I've been trying to write that book for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but one day, you know, our world was shut down, and I said it's the best time to write this book now. So, you know, I sat in my office for months writing and writing and writing and throwing stuff away and deleting and burning and writing. And finally, I I came up with Paranormal Confessions. I just chose the 13 best, you know, quote unquote, ghost stories, but real authentic paranormal stories that were most um, profound to me while I was there in the Belair house. 
Yeah, I, I mean, on the cover it says true stories of hauntings, possession, and horror from the Belair House. Uh, do you still consider some of those experiences, now that maybe you understand them a little better, to be horrific? Um, I think they're very profound. I think some of them are terrifying and horrific, absolutely. Uh, the chapter Conquer and Divide was absolutely horrific. It truly, truly was. Um, it was it was an awful experience. you know. But my signature is, Negative, 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 negative. And then let's end it with a very positive story. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Like, through the darkness, there is always light. But then I'm hearing reviews that the last, you know, one of the last chapters where I'm trying to make it positive, they say that's the creepiest one in the whole book. So that didn't work for me very well. <laughs> when, someone, when someone reads the book, in addition to obviously being fascinated by the events that have taken place in the house, what else do you want them to walk away from with, with the book from? There's tips at the end of every chapter for anybody, tips that can help you, whether you're preparing to go to an investigation, tips to help you, you know, maintain your high-frequency vibration so you're not feeling lethargic and you're not feeling um, sick, those types of things. There's protective tools in there. I, uh, I did write uh, tips on hyacinth oil, and you can even anoint deceased loved ones with hyacinth oil before they're, you know, buried or cremated, stuff like that. Um, gosh, there's lots. There, there's lots of different tips in there for sure. And how to cleanse your home. The best practice is to cleanse your home. Even if your home isn't haunted, it's still very good to have that practice of, you know, how you mop your floors, how you run the vacuum. You need to do this too for your home for the spiritual sense of that side of life. You uh, you mentioned the Divide and Conquer chapter, which is chapter 11. and uh, But some of the other titles here are also equally uh, shiver-inducing. Uh, Footsteps in the Attic, uh, Crossing Over, um, What Lies Below, and more. Um, was Divide and Conquer, if you had to pick a favorite chapter of yours, is that the one or is it one of the others? Um, I can't remember what I titled it, but it was about a spirit that actually showed up at my front door of my apartment in the flesh. His name was Gary. And that was what I wanted to be the positive story. But unfortunately, um, it didn't, you know, a lot of the readers, I'm getting a lot of feedback that it wasn't, that, that story actually scared them more than anything. Oh, wow. Because now they know that you know, spirit can manifest. It absolutely 100% can manifest um, in real life. And I, that, I've never seen that since. Um, you know, my son saw it, too. My husband saw it, too. Uh, there was this man. Oh, well, it's, 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 let me try to shorten it up because I know we're running out of time. But there, we, we did an investigation on a, like, super full blue blood moon. It was New Year's Eve, right? Um, and the, we made communication with a um, spirit named Gary. And Gary lived in the cubbyhole with two other spirits. And they said that, you know, they didn't want to leave. The Belair House, um, they couldn't leave the Belair House. They couldn't leave that cubbyhole because there was an evil entity there. And he told us his name was Gary. He was from Florida. His last name was Hetherington. I didn't know any Garys in the Hetherington family line. Later on down the line, I learned that servants took the last name of the owners of the home, which would have made Gary a slave or, or a servant. We still aren't sure which one he is because we didn't ask that. We just didn't know. Um then, you know, I, I did the worst thing any paranormal investigator could do because I got very, very emotional when he said that his son, um, his four-year-old son, went to the gable in the attic and this evil entity um, 
lured him to the gable and he plunged to his death. And his wife died in the house somewhere. His wife's spirit was still somewhere in the house. So I was so sad. Like I legitimately had tears coming out of my eyes. And at that point, you know, you got to walk away. Like any, if you get emotional like that, please, anybody walk away, take a break. Um, you have to go in with a very strong head and a very scientific mind if you can. Um, but I told Gary the worst thing. I said, Gary, you don't have to stay here. You can go sleep in bed. You can go eat food off the table. Um, you could go, you can come with me. And when I said that, fellow investigator Mike Simpson, very, very um, respected investigator of mine, he said, Kristen Lee, you need to leave your house. I said, Mike Simpson, you're absolutely right. And I listened, and thank God I did. Um, so I, I left for a little bit. And then the night went on, and everybody was happy, and, you know, everybody was high-fiving because all this paranormal activity was happening. But months later, my doorbell rings at my apartment, which is two towns away from the Belair house. And this man, I open the door and I see this man and he's like, I'd like to inquire about the apartment below you, but I can't get a hold of the man that owns the building. And I got my phone and I said, let me make, shoot him a text. What's your name? And he said, Gary. I said, okay, Gary, what's your phone number? He gave me his phone number. I text Laney and uh, Laney's the landlord. And um, I said, he said, I didn't mean to bother you, but my wife's next door at um, the doctor. I live right next to a gynecologist, you know, baby doctor, Dr. Sarah, and she was over there because she was four months pregnant. So my son came home from bowling or from school, and I needed to rush into bowling practice, and we opened the door, and there's Gary again with his wife. And I said, are, are you, what are you guys doing? What's, what's going on? He said, well, we're here to see the apartment. I said, well, let me walk you around back. So I walked him around back. And we were talking, and I said, it would be so cool if you guys moved in. I'm so excited. I love babies because I do. Oh, my God, I love babies so much. And um, I said, you know, it would be great to have a barbecue. It would be great, you know, have a baby. He put his hand on my shoulder. He walked up to me, like, in my personal space. He put his hand gently on my shoulder, and he said, Kristen Lee, I never told him my name. He said, our family is eternally grateful for what you've done to us, for us. And I, I didn't think of anything. I said, no worries, man. It's cool. It's good. Well, I'll see you guys later. You know, can't wait to move in. Got in the Jeep, taking my son to bowling practice, and it hit me. I said, oh, my God, that's Gary from the Belair house. It's him. And in my mind, I, I can hear my I'm like in a, in a trance. Like, I'm so, you know, concentrated. I had to pull over. I had to collect myself. And I can hear my son, Mom, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. And then finally I collect myself and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to drop my son off. I pull up this number. I'm going to pull up this number. If this number is a Florida exchange area code number, I'm going to lose it. I'm, I'm just going to lose it. I dropped him off. I pulled it up. It was a Florida exchange phone number. <laughs> and it's just it's the feeling that that head to toe confirmation, physiological feeling of confirmation it, it, that was not psychological. That was paranormal. And that has never happened since, but that was the biggest paranormal experience that I can, I'll never, ever be able to explain that. Did you ever see Gary again? Never saw him again. He never moved in. Nothing. Wow. Wow. Now, Laney did talk to him. Because I, I went to, <laughs> you know, Laney did talk to him. I know it was legit. I knew it was real. I don't believe in coincidences. I do not believe that was a coincidence at all. I think that that was Gary letting us know that, hey, we made it out. 
hey, we, we're in this different loop now. We're in this different dimension now. We slipped into, I know this is going to sound crazy, but it's true. We slipped into your dimension. We came here to let you know, thank you. We're eternally grateful. We got out. Wow. Well, we're out of time, Chris, and the book is called Paranormal Confessions. Where can people find it, and where can they follow your work a little more closely? Um, well, if you just do a Google search, Paranormal Confessions, Kristen Lee, we are on all platforms. We, I even have the book on an audio book right now in case you have long commutes, you can just listen to it. Um, that's there. But uh, to find us, to find the Belair House, to come and spend time at the Belair House, to meet the spirits of the Belair House, just find us on BelairHouseTours.com. I have to ask you one more question before I let you go, though. Um, as a psychic medium, when we have a nationally... Uh, high-profile case like this Gabby Petito case that's just unfolding in front of our eyes right now. Do you or do you, what do you, th- what are your thoughts on psychics and mediums kind of trying to use those sensitivities to figure out what happened in a case like that? Did you do that yourself or do you have any thoughts that, about that? Is that like a crime case, like a murder case? I'm not familiar with Oh, that. yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I figured you would know it's the 22-year-old girl who she and her boyfriend were driving across the country he ends up uh, home with her car without her, avoiding police. The parents a week later report the the girl missing, and they just found her body. Oh God, I'm so sorry to hear that. I I can't I I can't do things like that um, because I feel like I, I've got great friends that can, and I lean on them to do things like that if anybody ever needs that kind of referral. But for me, that that just breaks my heart. It it it, it really does, yeah. and I I. Just, I don't allow myself to be submitted to things like that. Now, you know, I'll tune in and, and dive into the spirit realm and swim around until I find a deceased loved one. Absolutely, 100%. I'll do that to the cows come home. But when it comes to, like, murder cases and stuff like that, I'm very, very, very sensitive. And that would just rock my whole vibe. I yeah. can't do that. Yeah, I can see how that would. I was just curious about that. Well, Kristen, thanks so much for your time tonight. Uh, the book is the book is fantastic. The stories are amazing, and the house is is unbelievably active. Uh, so anybody who's paranormally curious, this is this is a great read. And um, your website also has some information about the home too, as well. So thanks so much for being here tonight. Look forward to having you back sometime. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. If you're ever in town, let me know. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick. Oh, you know what? I should just ask one more thing here. What town is in Ohio? Is the house in? Bel Air, Bel Air, Ohio. Oh, it is in Bel Air. Okay, perfect. Awesome. All right, thanks, Kristen. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. Have a good night. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.